you have your Bibles tonight and you would uh, find the 27th chapter of Matthew, we are coming to an end of the book of Matthew fairly quickly. And uh, as always, just want to thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for bringing your Bible. You said I didn't bring my Bible, maybe next week. And uh, But I uh, had a wonderful uh, afternoon. I had a baptism this uh, afternoon at 5 o'clock for the gentleman that we asked for permission this morning. And you'll be able to uh, thank you to see that next Sunday morning. You'll be able to watch that baptism and celebrate that. Uh, and uh, always exciting to see how God is at work in the lives of people. Uh, but tonight I want to talk to you about victory in Jesus. I think most of us, when we hear that uh, phrase, we think of the song, uh, Victory in Jesus, one of my favorite songs, and uh, definitely one of the favorite songs at Fox Meadows. It is a weekly request as we're there doing church. But tonight I want to talk to you about um, the uh, impact that Jesus made on people. I want to talk to you a little bit about the people who tried to stop and hide the resurrection of Jesus and how we are to declare it. But I think we would be remiss if we did not look in our Bibles in chapter 27. And starting in verse 45, we're not going to read it all, but you need to know that these are miracles associated with the death of Jesus to show the people of that day that He was and is who He said He was. And when you read through those about the darkness, about the veil of the temple being torn, everything, the earthquakes, the rocks being split, it was to point people to who Jesus was. And there is two or three verses in there that are some of the most difficult in the New Testament. And like most Baptist preachers, I skipped over them last week to get done, and I am coming back to them this week. But uh, we see in verses 52 through 54 these words. And the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after His resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. So pray with me. And we'll begin. Father, tonight we ask for wisdom and clarity to Your Word. We ask, Lord, that we would make much of Jesus and who He is and what He does for His people. Father, I pray that You'd forgive me and that You would use tonight for Your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so what we see here in verses 52 through 54, there are a few different answers. And one, I can tell you that I do not know what I believe for sure. But I want to just take a few moments because it is important as we set up what comes next. There are a couple of views on what happens in this passage of Scripture. The first is that this uh, event happens after the resurrection of our Lord, which it says in the text. There are problems with that in the text because we see that the guards are still awake and they're still aware of what is going on. That is one thought, that it is just a small foretaste of what the resurrection is going to be like. Some Bible scholars believe that Jesus allowed these individuals who had died to be temporarily revived like Lazarus was. Is that a very assessment? Maybe. 
But what I can tell you is this, whichever position you hold to that, the main thing you need to know is that it fulfills an Old Testament passage of Scripture. And for anybody who was genuinely looking for the answer of who Jesus was, would have been reminded of what Exodus chapter 37 says. In Exodus chapter 37, I'll give you just a moment to flip over there, these words are spoken. And they are spoken about the restoration of Israel, the restoration of God's people. Some view it as a picture of the resurrection. But listen to what these words say, starting in verse 11 of chapter 37. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And so we see, if you are looking at the language, it is exactly the same in verses 11 and 12 of Ezekiel as it is in chapter 27, that the graves would be open and that this would happen. And so what we really need to focus on is this simple truth that Jesus is once again, through the plan and purpose of God, revealing Himself to people, showing them that what has happened is truly the truth and that they should pay attention and that they should be focused in on what is happening. Because what we then see directly out of that is how Jesus impacted the lives of people. If you're taking notes today, please write that down. Because we come into verse 57, excuse me, verse 55, and we begin to see all of the women and the men and the people who were witnessing what is going on. And starting in verse 55, it says, And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to Him, were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Joseph, the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body of him be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in cloth, clean cloth, and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hone out, hewn out above the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite of the tomb. So we are given a list of people that are watching the death of Jesus. We're watching Him as they are taking Him off the cross. And this is important. And this is important because what we see are all these people who had had an encounter with Jesus and He had changed their life. And tonight I want to show you this because while we just find out in verses 52 and 53 that dead people are coming back to life, that there are earthquakes that are tearing this land apart, while there are temple veils being torn, while the sky has been dark totally for hours. Some people view this as an eclipse, but it was not. Where we know the time of Jesus' death and what was going on, this was a supernatural darkening 
of the sky. All of this is given to us to point us to Jesus, and the very next thing we see are the people who were impacted by Jesus. And that truly is the truth of the gospel. When we are pointed to Jesus, and we understand who Jesus is, it changes everything about us. And this is one thing that I hope that you will never lose faith in. That when Jesus truly has an encounter with someone, that person is forever changed. And if you're here tonight, you know that. If you are born again, blood-bought, child of God, you know that when Jesus changed you, everything changed. The way you walk, the way you talk, the way you think, the way you live, everything changes when you've had an encounter with Jesus. If you look through the entire New Testament, when people had an encounter with Jesus, it changed them. But because, because we are Baptists, and we have misused the doctrine of the security of the believer, we have somehow justified in our mind that people can encounter Jesus and never change. But friends, that is not the New Testament model. When you encounter Jesus, everything changes. After a period of time, you might backslide. You might stumble and wander and fail, and that's why we hold to the security of the believer. But when you look at the New Testament, people do not encounter Jesus, truly encounter Him, and get up and walk away the same as when they came. And tonight when we talk to people about Jesus, when we encourage people about who Jesus is, when we are discipling people, we need to show them and explain to them that true encounters with Jesus change everything. That's why it's always so exciting when someone gets saved and, and someone will say something like, uh, you know, uh, I, I, uh, I'm afraid to be in front of people. And then three days later after they're saved, it's like, hey, I'm not ashamed. You can tell them I got saved, and it's like, you know why? Because something changed you. Something has transformed you. Something has happened to you that used to make you afraid, but not afraid anymore. Used to be embarrassed, but now you're not. Why? Because you've encountered a God who has set you free. And that's what we see from this list of people. We begin to go through this, and we see here in verse 56, Mary Magdalene. And if you remember her, she was delivered from demons. This is a woman who had encountered Jesus and been changed. We see the mother of James and his brother, and we know that he would have been changed by Jesus. And so as these women have watched their sons forsake everything and follow Jesus, they had been changed. Joseph, if you remember from Arimathea, if you want to flip over with me to the book of Mark. In the book of Mark, we see a detailed explanation of what has happened here in this chapter about Him coming and asking for the body. And it says in there in verse 43, a prominent council meeting who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. This was a man of great importance. This was a man who would have been looked at by the Jewish people as a wonderful teacher, a wonderful leader, a wonderful man who, who had everything figured out. But yet here he is coming to Pilate. And as a member of the group of people who just begged for Jesus to be crucified, we know the law if you have the same commentary that I have. Prisoners who were sentenced to death 
forfeited the right to burial under Roman law. Their bodies were usually granted to relatives who asked for them, but this wasn't a relative. This was a man, just like we saw this morning, who put his status, his family name, his wealth, all on the line to be associated with Jesus. Why? Because he had had an encounter with Jesus. We know that Nicodemus as well, and you can flip over and read about that as well in the book of John chapter 3, how he came to the Lord asking about being saved. And how the Lord tells him that you must be born again. And we know that this man who was a part of the ruling Jewish people is now here worshiping and wanting to be associated with Jesus. We know in the book of John chapter 3 that he came at night. Why? Because being associated with Jesus could harm one, could ruin one's standing. But yet here they are now publicly and boldly proclaiming Jesus. Why? Because they had an encounter with Him. You can go on through this passage of Scripture and you can look in verses 56, 57, 58 and all of these people had had an encounter with Jesus and it changed everything about them. Tonight I want to encourage you not to give up on the power of the Holy Spirit. I know it is not always easy to proclaim the gospel in some settings. I've preached many a funeral knowing that the people that I was talking to were lost. Know that they have no belief in God. And in those moments, it is easy as a pastor just to want to say things like, you know, heaven's a wonderful place. I hope you get to go there and, you know, and God bless you and let's call it good. But we have to believe that the gospel of Jesus can still impact people the same way it did in the book of John, in the book of Matthew. Your children need to hear about the good and great works of God, how He loves them, how He died for them. Why? Because if they encounter Him, everything will change. And so what we see in this passage of Scripture is in verse 58, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had brought out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the tomb of the dome and departed. What we see here is a fulfillment of the Old Testament, a scripture that talks about this very thing. Tonight I want you to see this because when you have been impacted by Jesus, there is nothing that you won't give him. Joseph did not bring this tomb for Jesus in the beginning. It was for his family. But yet after he encountered Jesus, everything he had belonged to him. Think about this verse from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I know there is a growing trend in churches today to try to convince people that they can evolve into being a Christian. 
They can become intelligent enough to be a Christian. They can learn enough to be a Christian. They can work hard enough to be a Christian. But what we believe is that you must have an experience with Jesus. That you must be born again. That God must supernaturally take you from being lost to being saved. And if we ever lose that, we will fail miserably as a church. We must always remind people that you must repent of your sins. You must turn from your wicked ways. You must encounter Him. You must call upon Him. You must experience the conviction and drawing of the Holy Spirit. And you must be willing to boldly proclaim, He is mine. Jesus made it abundantly clear that if we deny Him in front of men, that He will deny us in front of His heavenly Father. And so tonight I want you to see that real encounters with Jesus change people's life. Second thing I want to show you from this passage of Scripture is that there were others who were determined to keep Him down. There were others who were determined to keep Him down. We start in verse 62 of chapter 27. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how the deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure sealing the stone, and settling the guard. I think this is very important because what we see here is fear. Fear of losing their power. Fear of losing their station. Fear of having the same people that had just cried, crucified Jesus, turn on them. And I think this is important tonight because I believe that this is unfolding as it happens. And if that is the case these men would have been witness and heard about all the miraculous work that had been going on. They would have known about the rocks being split. They would have known about the earthquakes. They would have known about all that was going on here in this passage of Scripture in chapter 27. But yet, they still chose to oppose Him. Look what it says here in this text because I think it's important. It starts in verse... 23, and talks about him being the deceiver. I think this is important because the Bible says that Satan is the great deceiver. He is the father of lies. He is the one who imitates the work of Christ. The Bible says that he can even appear as an angel of light. And what we see are these individuals, for whatever reason, clinging to the simple fact that he cannot be who he says he is. He has to be a liar. He has to be a false prophet. He has to be deceiving the people. Friends, I think this is evident because we see in the book of Romans that God has revealed Himself through nature, through other things that we can look and see that there is a Creator. There is someone who has orchestrated all of this together. These men are the same men who would have been there when Jesus had healed the sick given sight to the blind, 
They would have been the same men that were standing in the back of the room watching Him feed the thousands. But yet even up until the very end, their hatred and their betrayal and their denial of Him would not stop. I think it is important to notice here that these were the same men that thought if we could just crucify Him, it will solve all of our problems. And I don't know, all I can do is speculate. But maybe they're thinking kind of like Satan, I'll just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. We know, studying the book of Revelation, that Satan is going to continue to fight and rebel up until the very end. And I believe that is the same for his followers. I think this is an added bonus tonight. But if you expect one day for Governor Pritzker and his allies just to wake up and say, you know what, I think we've done enough evil. You are mistaken. If you think one day that the man occupying the White House and his followers are going to wake up one day and say, I think we're just done doing evil. You are mistaken. Because friends, there are only two results in this life. One, you submit to Christ and the Holy Spirit and be made more and more in the image of Christ. Or two, as the book of Romans says, you reject Him and the wickedness of your heart and the bounds that God will give you to run from Him know no ends. And so whether it is a Republican or a Democrat, a congressman, a senator, a president, when they reject the teaching of God, you should never be surprised by how far they will go to fight against the things of God. Next Sunday is the sanctity of human life. and So, I would encourage you not to invite any of your... No, I'm just kidding. Because we're going to talk just briefly about what it means. And for you and I who believe in the sanctity of life, it's a special Sunday. It's the first one since the overturning of Roe vs. Wade. But for other people, they are ready to protest. They might even show up and walk out during the middle of it. But what I can tell you is this, it should not surprise us. These men had been through everything. They had witnessed all of this, but yet they would not quit fighting who God is. Tonight I want to give you a word of encouragement. Don't quit. Don't give up because wickedness abounds. If you remember what happened with Abraham in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, if we can just find so many righteous... Well, how about half that? How about a percentage of that one? How about a percentage of that number? And I believe that if there would have been those people in that city, God would have been faithful to His Word. And He would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah. And friends, I believe that is the only thing that keeps the wrath and judgment of God away from the world today. And that is that His people are still here that we are trying to still be salt and light. We're still trying to reach the sick and the hurting, care for the widow and orphan. And so tonight, while we see that there are others who were constantly trying to hide it, to cover it up, to explain it, that we should not be surprised. They tried to kill Jesus at least eight times in the New Testament. One example of that comes from John chapter 8, starting in verse 57. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
Then they took up stones to throw at Him, but Jesus hid Himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Almost ten times, at least eight, they have tried to kill Him, but yet they will not quit. They have crucified Him and put Him in a tomb, but they still will not quit. Why? Because wickedness knows no end. Third and final thing I would like to show you tonight from this text. Even though there will be those who try to oppose it, even though there will be those of us who have been impacted of it, the hope of the world is supposed to be shared. The hope of the world is supposed to be shared. Look here in verses 1-8. through Some of the most exciting and encouraging verses in all of the New Testament. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Just stop for a second there. You do realize the earthquake was not for him to get out. He could walk through walls in his resurrected body. He could appear where he wanted. The stone was rolled so they could get in. You see, Jesus broke the barrier for you and I to get to Him by coming. He broke the barrier over sin and death by resurrecting. And He opens the door for them to see the hope that He gives. His countenance was like lightning, and His clothing is white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of Him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen. As He said, come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. And indeed, He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see Him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring His disciples' word. I want to show you just a couple things very quickly here tonight and I'll be done. The angel of the Lord that was here was not all-knowing. This is very important. Only God knows everything. But yet God had told these angels what these women needed to hear what they needed to experience. And tonight I want you to know that that is still the case. The Lord knows your need. The Lord knows your fear. The Lord knows everything about your struggles. And just like these women who needed to be told, fear not. Don't be afraid. God knows your need. Tonight you might be here going through a terrible marriage. God knows your need. Maybe tonight you're going through here struggling in your faith. God knows your need. Maybe you're here tonight and you're worried about your children and your grandchildren. God knows your need. But I think it's important not only did He know their need, He gave them the answer they needed. He is not here, for He is risen as He said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. I find this interesting because you would think all he had to do was tell them that he's not there and they could believe it. 
but He has them come in to see with their own eyes. And why that is has always mind-boggled me. I've never had an encounter with an angel. Never been touched by an angel like the TV show that I know of. But if I had experienced this, I have a pretty good feeling that I think I would just believe it. But I think that this happens not for them, but for those they were going to go tell. Because when they went to tell the disciples, those who had followed Jesus, I'm guessing their first response would be, did you see it? Did you look in there and see that He was gone? And what you could say in that point is, I have seen it with my own two eyes. And friends, I think that has not changed today as we witness to other people. We can tell people about what Jesus did. We can tell people about what He has done on the cross, and we should. But we also can tell them what He has done in us. I know He lives because He lives within my heart. I know that He can save a person that has decided to live in a tavern because I've seen Him do it. I know He can save broken marriages. I've seen Him do it. I know He can heal the sick. I've seen Him do it. I know that God can work and move in situations that make no sense because I have seen it. Oh, I've read it. And I believe it. But I'm telling you what, it's one thing to read about someone being saved. And it brings even more joy when you get to what? See it. And so tonight I hope that you will not only share what the gospel is and what God has done, but what it means to you. What you have seen God do in your life and in the lives of others around you. And what we see here is Jesus has risen from the dead. And tonight I want to remind you that that is still the hope that we have. It's not a political answer. It's not a legislative answer. It's not a Supreme Court answer. It is the fact that we are willing to declare to a lost and dying world that He is risen. He has conquered sin and death and the grave. And He is living. One of the last funerals I have done, and I won't tell you when specifically because I don't want to give it up away, I did for people that were a bunch of people my age. And I have now pastored here 11 years, been on staff right about 13 or something like that. And some of you are thinking, boy, it sure feels a lot longer than that. But, uh, but even to this day, to go back and to witness in a non-church setting to the people that you used to run around with and that you used to sin with and that you used to humiliate yourself with is still hard. Now, I know you're not that way. You're all spiritually mature. Many of you, your friends are all gone. But no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just joking. That was an old joke. I'm sorry. But I'm telling you, I stand up here and preach to hundreds of you every Sunday. I go into hospitals, I go into nursing homes, I go into assisted living, but there's just something about trying to share your faith with the people who know you at your worst. I mean, really know you at your worst. And it's always so enjoyable when you're standing there with people that you now go to church with, 
And they begin to tell a story of what it was like two decades ago. And everything in you just like sinks. You're like, oh no, I know how the story ends. I, I know what that ended up being. And it's almost like the air is just sucked out of you. Because it's a hopeless feeling. And even up until this day, it still happens. But when I get in those situations, I always have to stop and pray. And say, Lord, I know how the end of that story went. But what I now know is the story that you wrote and how it ended. And how while all of my sin and shame and regret can come rushing up like a quick vomit, Lord, what you have done has set me free. And what these individuals need more than anything is an encounter with you. And so I begin to pray for them. Lord, if my wickedness and humiliation can be used by you to reach them, let it be. And boy, I tell you what, let's just be honest. I do not like that prayer. I just want to skip the Jake, do you remember who you were? And get to telling them who I am, right? Let's skip all of that. Let's not bring that up. But then I read Paul. And Paul's writing to churches talking about, I was the chief of sinners. And I'm like, oh, Paul, if you'd have just skipped over that part, <laughs> I would just skip over that part. And I know it makes people uncomfortable in the church because you all just look at me like, boy, I'm glad I don't hang out with any of those people anymore. Maybe you ought to make an effort to witness to them. If you don't go back to them, who will? If they don't remember what you're like and can see what God has done now, how are they going to see the resurrection power of Jesus? Now some of you in the halos are popping out. You're like, I have been wonderful since the day I was born. We're all good at hiding our sins, some just better than others. What I can tell you tonight is this. I would much rather be humiliated for myself that God might reach others. It's almost like the example was set by Jesus Himself who did not consider it robbery to take on the form of man, to be humiliated, embarrassed, spit upon, beat upon, hung naked before God and man, that He might redeem us from our sins. And so I believe if this church really wants to make a difference in the lost, it's going to go to the people that we used to know and declaring how God has changed you. Some of you are looking like, oh, I'm not from here. I'm good to go. Maybe God will move someone here that you used to live with. But are you bold enough to go knowing where you've been? Because I hope that you can say yes. Because where you've been does not define you. Who He is defines you. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word tonight. And Lord, I just pray that as we celebrate Your resurrection, Lord, we celebrate what You have done. Lord, that we never forget that You came to seek and save the lost. And while we enjoy our salvation, 
while we celebrate what You've done for us, Lord, we know that You have saved us to go to others. And so, Father, I pray that You would open doors for us to go to those people that have seen us at our worst, that have witnessed our sin at its biggest, that have seen us in our most hurtful moments. And God, You might use those to save them. Lord, I pray that we would begin to see a great harvest of souls changed for You. Lord, help us to be willing to go and to do whatever the cost. Lord, give us a burden for those that we know that don't know You. That they might encounter You and forever be changed by You. And Lord, we ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.